Hi everyone and welcome back to the Poem Out podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome back to the show everyone. Uh, lovely to have you all here again. Um, and today is a bit different because I am going to be interviewed. Uh, and it's by a friend of mine who has been a guest on the show before a couple of times. So um, welcome back to the show, Elle Rose. Hi, and yes, everybody, I'm going to be interviewing James about um, his demisexual experience today. Yes. So, yeah. Yes. Elle has been on the show before to share their demisexual experience and talk about demisexuality and all of those kind of things. And I think about ADHD we talked about once. And ADHD, well. I think, yeah. yeah um, so there was, uh, there was an ADHD episode we did and an ACE episode that we did. And you're now writing a book, aren't you? Um, we're eventually going to have that done, yes. <laughs> oh, God. It's going to be about demisexuality, is that right? It's going to be specifically about demisexuality, yeah. Um, it's very but, exciting. Yeah, it's pretty, yeah. Um, and just a side note, it is pretty like jarring to see all these ace books I love and be like, oh, someday, you know, yeah. it's going to be on yeah. the shelf. Um, but yeah, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But yeah, everybody, we're going to go over James's um, own demisexual experience instead and yeah, do this kind of in a reverse. So Okay, take it away. <laughs> yeah. So of course, everybody knows your name is James, but um, I always ask, you know, what are your, what is your name and pronouns, you know? Oh, I'm James. Um, hi, everyone. <laughs> um, you have never met me before. Uh, I am uh, I, I am he, him. They're my, they're my pronouns. Uh, and uh, I am demisexual. Yeah. Are you um, cisgender as well or um, non-binary? Uh, oh, um, I am cisgender, I think. Yes, I am cisgender. I'm not non-binary. Okay. Yeah, because I know we never talked about you know, but um, I figured we should probably throw it in because for a lot of people, sexuality ties into gender, whether they're cis or not. Mm. Um, so other than demisexual, um, are there any other labels that you use to describe your experience? Um, in terms of other labels. Oh, I think it froze. What I use, um, let's think. Um, I'm not sure. Like, I, I, in terms of my sexuality, you mean? Or my identity or gender identity. Yeah, like um, either gender or romantic orientation. Um, anything, like you don't have to use any others. But, um, well, no, I don't. A, um, I mean, I'm, a I'm, a I'm a demisexual cis man. Uh, I'm in a relationship with someone else who's demisexual, actually. Oh, congratulations. Um, which is exciting. Uh, um, I won't reveal who because that wouldn't be right appropriate, but. Yeah, um, which we can talk about later. Like, I can talk about what it's like to be a demisexual in a relationship with another demisexual. Um, that's that's kind of, and I'm obviously he, him, as I mentioned. So they're the the pronouns that I use and the descriptors that I use at the moment. Right. Of course, that can change in the future, but for uh, sure, yeah, it's fluid. But uh, yeah. All right. So, um, yeah, so that's good. So in your own words, um, how do you define demisexual, like in your own terms? Like for people who are just now hearing about this, who didn't hear the other episodes or. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, like uh, for me, it basically means that I don't experience sexual attraction like other, like, like uh, heterosexual people do. Um, or 
or like allosexual people like allosexual that's the right word thank you very much for that um Yes, there's so many terms. I'm still learning them all. Uh, there, there are a lot. Um, for people who don't know, um, allosexual just means that you're not within the spectrum of asexuality. Like that's it. It doesn't. It doesn't talk about who you're attracted to, other than you have sexual attraction. <laughs> like that's not under asexuality or any exceptions. So, correct. So, asexuality for me is that I don't feel sexual attraction to people unless I have a very close bond with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for example in my relationship i was not sexually attracted to my partner until after we became partners okay, uh, okay. because the attraction for the attraction between us wasn't well the initial attraction wasn't this wasn't a sexual attraction it was a it was a, an emotional attachment uh, attachment it was um it was all the other things all the other ways you can be attracted to somebody um but Physical attraction comes after you form a bond with them and you build trust and you build safety and healthy boundaries. And, and when you, within those boundaries, you can then start to feel sexual attraction. That's how it works for me. I don't feel sexual attraction very often, actually, looking back. I should have known I was demisexual, really, but I didn't know what demisexual was. Um, but when I look back at my, my, my life, I never felt like when I was a teenager, I didn't feel sexual attraction towards people really mm-hmm. um i felt aesthetic attraction which is a different thing when you when you can acknowledge somebody as aesthetically attractive um without feeling any sexual attraction which is a completely different thing sometimes people get them conflated but they're different yeah they they get them confused a lot i i kind of explain it like i like looking at that painting but i don't want to make love to that painting <laughs> you know yeah, exactly that's a great that's a great way to describe it and cause I, I found lots of Lots of um, female bodies at birth, uh, um, aesthetically attractive, but didn't feel sexual attraction towards, well, any of them. Uh, I never got like, I never understood this whole thing about guys just being turned on by looking at a girl, which seems to be a normal thing for allosexuals, or allosexual men anyway, uh, cis men. And uh, I, I just never had, that at all it was never a thing for me like ever uh you know and i had plenty of female friends and you know many of them aesthetically attractive um but i wasn't sexually attracted to any of them uh and uh i always got on better with with female bodies at birth uh so like assigned female at birth person whether they're non-binary or cis is kind of what you mean i'm trying to cover all my races here because um (laughs) I could just say women, but uh, but that's then you think about trans women. I want, and then, I want yeah. to include everybody exactly. Yeah, right. trying to be as inclusive. Um, as like yeah, because people might be new people who are new to it. That was yeah. yeah. Exactly. And gender language is definitely an evolving thing, but um, it's good. It to, is. So I'm trying yeah, to try I'm trying to have more inclusive um, language, and that's something. But it's something you have to learn as well. So, oh, for sure. A lot of these terms that I've only just heard in the last two years, so I'm still learning them, and it's still not completely intuitive to use them yet like uh and that takes time but i'm doing my best <laughs> yeah I, mean, that's um, all you can do, yeah. and uh but yeah so yeah i yeah i didn't didn't feel sexual attraction to people that i wasn't emotionally attracted to or what didn't have a bond with uh 
you know, I uh, I even actually fell in love with somebody and I didn't feel sexual attraction towards them, mm-hmm. but I found them aesthetically aesthetically uh, aesthetically attractive. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is strange. Say on the oh, go ahead. And I was just saying that was it was it seemed strange at the time, like that I like it's like you know that I wasn't fantasizing about having sex with them or anything like that or getting physically turned on by them, but I but I loved them deeply. Yeah. Um, and I. I found them beautiful, um, aesthetically beautiful as well as as a person. Um, but there wasn't like a sexual element to, to it, which is very strange. But I didn't really think about it at the time um, because this is like 20 years ago, 25 years ago. Yeah. So I had no idea at all about demisexuality at, at that point. Uh, it wasn't even in my vocabulary. I knew about I don't even think it was the word 20 years ago, actually. So, I mean, in your defense. Like right. we're coming up on about twenty years in two thousand twenty six. So this is before it became became, became a term. Oh, that's even so. I'm, yeah. So so yeah. You don't have to feel too bad. <laughs> yeah, it's literally twenty five years ago because I was I was twenty one. So um, so yeah, that'd be nineteen ninety. Oh my god, nineteen ninety eight. Well, it's, there was two thousand one was Haven for the Human Amoeba. And then 2003, I think somebody was like, what about, uh, basically David J was like, what about people who are like somewhere in between? And this is very summarized. Um, and then somebody else later um, was like, said semi-sexual. And then a couple of years down the line, somebody said demisexual. And I actually think after that is when the term gray sexual got coined, which is interesting because gray sexual is kind of an umbrella that demisexual could fall under, you know? That's five or six years after this, then. So that I'm uh, let off the hook. I, I, I couldn't have known. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, exist at that point. So uh, yeah. So but and, and then I didn't have a I didn't have a girlfriend, as it were, until I was in my thirties. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the only compulsion I felt to have a partner was because I was in the church at that point, and it was like the thing you oh. do. And because, of course, in capitalism, it's the kind of cultural thing you do. Like, you you know, you get to a certain age and then you get married and have children and all of that. And that's what you're meant to do. Like uh, picking uh, and two and a half kids. Although. Yeah. And so I've been conditioned into that. Like, I just thought that was what you what you did. Uh, and so uh, I could never meet anybody. Like, And I, I just never got. Now I think about it. I, I was never sexually attracted to anyone. My body was never sexually attracted to anyone. I never what, got, when like, you say your body on. was, um, what do you mean by that exactly? Well, I didn't, I didn't get um, sexually stimulated. Sure that's like, you know, I didn't get sexually stimulated by looking at a person or by finding them gotcha. attra- physically attractive. I, that didn't happen. Gotcha, gotcha. I, yeah, you know, uh, well, I hope that it never happens. Really, um, yeah. Which I, so I should have. I mean, again, like if I'd known what what this was, then I would have. Because I just thought this was normal, you see. I thought everyone was like this. I thought, because like, because I, you know, when I was in the church, it was all like no sex before marriage. So I was like, well, this, this is obviously how everyone's like, and especially being autistic, and you just assume everyone is like you, like, and the, the rules are the same for everyone. Yeah, you're not aware of, of what other of, of other things. So I, I just assumed it was everyone was like this, like, and then like, you know, until you met the right person or whatever, like. You know, I always watch these Hollywood, those Hollywood movies, and like guys getting turned on by everything. And I'm like, this, this doesn't really happen, does it? Like, this isn't like, oh, it's yeah, this is weird. <laughs> like, I didn't understand how, like, it didn't it didn't make any sense to me. Like, is this is this what every 
teenage ma- teenage boy was meant to go through. Like you know, it was it wasn't because it wasn't my experience. Yeah, uh, and uh, so I, you know, again, looking back, it's quite clear that I was demisexual all along. Uh, so for yeah. um, kind of brings me actually to a question that's kind of related. Um, but real quick on the note of gender, um, I remember when I wrote an article about like asexual men and like masculine people. I think you're quoted in that actually. Um, somebody actually approached me and was like, Hey, um, can you do like asexual men and masculine people? Because they felt like as a person who was assigned male, but like trans, like a trans woman, um, of course I will not out them or anything like that. Um, they came to me privately and asked me to refer to it that way. So, um, that might help with like, you know, trying to be gender inclusive, like fem, like women and feminine people, like is kind of what I've been going with right now. But, um, it just reminded me of that and ADHD, but um, the um, yeah, I know what that's like <laughs> <laughs> same boat. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, there's a lot of people though who, and I'm sure we both run into this all the time, where you describe, oh, I'm not sexually attracted to somebody until I'm close with them, and they interpret that as being, I don't have sex until I'm close in a relationship, and then they think, oh, that's not a sexuality. Um, what? What like challenge do you have to offer to that um, that rebuttal of demisexuality? Well, it's not a con- it's not like a a moral or value or boundary choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it, it, you know I I didn't sit down and decide I'm not going to be sexually attracted to somebody or I'm not going to have sex until I'm in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's, it's not the same as how- abstinence, basically. Is what no, it's mean. not it's nothing. It's not the same as abstinence. No, and I. It's it's how my body works. I I cannot be sexually attracted to somebody until I I form a close bond with them and I form trust and safety and well love basically and uh you know and even then it doesn't necessarily happen immediately like you know it's not like and it needs stimuli like um not just physical stimuli um. Yeah, you know, sometimes I can I can feel sexual attraction without a physical stimuli when I've got an emotional stimuli from somebody that I am close with, like my partner. Uh, and you know, without and that doesn't that doesn't even mean we that doesn't even mean you have sex. You may not you don't have to act out act on that. Like there's no obligation to do that. Uh, it's not a but it's not a conscious choice that I make. It's not it's it's simply how my body responds to things. And I don't, I don't feel like then the, the urgency or the urgency to have sex with my partner. Mm-hmm. We have, we have genuine intimacy and depth and um, commitment and love and safety and intimate moments without, without having physical intimacy. Like it, I don't. I don't need. I don't need physical intimacy to be to feel loved and safe and intimate with my partner. Um, yes, for like an allosexual person, it might be that they do need that to feel. Yes, exactly. But for you, it's like it's not like a conscious choice, but it's also, yeah, like you could take or leave it kind of thing. Yeah, and it, and you know, if my partner was allosexual, I'd have. I would. We'd have to talk about boundaries and talk about how how that works. How that works, and that that would be in a healthy relationship. You can do that. Yeah, for um, sure, for any relationship, really. Um, so, 
Um, yeah, it's so, uh, and that's not to say that you don't, and, th- and there's also a difference between, um, being between, uh, sexual attraction and libido as well. Yeah. Right. Sexual attraction um, versus libido for sure. Like you might, yeah. you might, if with somebody you are sexually attracted to, say, let's say a partner, once, once you feel that sexual attraction, you may have <laughs> a big sex drive for that person, uh, or desire sex with that person a lot. Uh, but it won't, but the difference is it won't apply to anybody else. It's not like I, I want lots of sex. I'll just doesn't matter who I have it with. It's, it doesn't work quite like that. I know a few demisexuals who, and I can't say, I won't, won't say who, but who have high libidos, libidos, um, and that can, that can happen. And, uh, some have low libidos. It's, 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 everyone's different and there's no right or wrong answer. It's just who you are. And part of my journey has been just realizing who I am in all these different areas and becoming comfortable with that. And now I am comfortable with that. And um, I'm actually quite glad I'm demisexual because I, I like not needing to have sex to have intimacy because, you know, um, makes it maybe less complicated. Yeah, it does. And, you know, uh, especially if you, if you get old with somebody, you want to grow old with somebody, then at some point their sex won't be possible, like for whatever reason, oh, yeah. because our bodies get older. And uh, if, you, if, you, if sex wasn't like that big a thing in the first place, then if we don't do it as much, it doesn't, well, I'm not saying it doesn't matter as much. It's just, it's not as, it's not as big of a bridge to cross when you get when you get to that stage in life, I guess. So, yeah, um, yeah. So, to explain. Like, I want to keep my keep my partner's privacy. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah, that. And I, I, I'm, so I'm trying trying to do that, uh, but there it's you know, but being you know, being being with them. And just even just like cuddling up on a sofa or something can be intimate, and uh, like that's and if it's just that's just, that's all it is, it still feels just as intimate. Uh, I mean, I still haven't actually had penetrative sex, so but I don't feel like I have to. I don't feel any obligation to. Mm-hmm. I don't feel any shame about saying that I haven't done that. Um, and I mean, you shouldn't. You haven't, you know. And it's not their whole lives without it, and are completely fine. Yeah, it is, and and it's not like a relig- it's not a religious thing anymore. It's not like a, I'm not having sex until I'm married thing. It's just who I am, like, and I'm okay with that. So you mentioned earlier, um, that actually the religious thing made me realize I had a question from earlier, and then I, you know, ADHD. Um, <laughs> um, so. Because we both kind of grew up in like that conservative Christian environment. Like I know I was kind of bridged between that and secular and whatnot. But you mentioned it kind of feeling like a thing that was programmed in for a while to have a partner. Um, how do you feel like you deprogrammed yourself from that? Like did discovering demisexuality have anything to do with it or not related? Purity culture. Um Oh, I I think I unlearned purity culture 
just before discovering I was demisexual. I think it, you know, kind of purity culture ended for me around 20, 2020, I think. And that was around the time I was beginning to discover demisexuality. So there's an element of where demisexuality helped me unlearn purity culture mm-hmm. uh, and helped explain a lot of things that I had done in the past. Uh, like I've like I've mentioned to you, mm-hmm. but I mean the biggest thing for purity culture that was I had a session of internal family systems therapy, uh, where I literally went into my brain and did a lot of work with internal managers around purity culture and really just it's quite it was quite an incredible experience because I literally felt the energy in my brain mood changing and like that part of the brain where that stuff is stored and like I felt that. Like warm, interesting. And I felt, and after after that session, I didn't have purity culture was just gone for me. Like it was just gone from my brain. It's pretty and, cool, uh, actually. It was, yeah, I know. It was. I'm really lucky because it takes other people ages to unlearn it. But it, I mean, obviously, there was other work I had to do on it. But that was a, after that, I was able to talk about sex without shame. And before yeah. that, I couldn't. Uh, but I remember being a embodiment coach where. I was asked to talk about my sex life or yeah. whatever, and and it was a totally safe environment as well. And yet I opened my mouth to say something, and I couldn't say, and the words wouldn't come out of my mouth. My brain would not let me say them because I had that block. And yeah. in that therapy session, that block disappeared, and I was able to talk about it. And after that, I was able to really go fully explore everything. And I started – I think that's when I encountered – because you were a big part of um, – my my learning about this because i i think we met each other on twitter or something yeah we would have met on twitter and i i started writing about it in june of 2020 like i'd come out on a few places but um then there was that thread of that guy making fun of that girl on tiktok and Mm. i kind of demolished him (laughs) yeah i read a lot of of the things that you'd written and you came on my podcast as well and I think we talked about it outside of outside of the podcast too. Yeah, and I began to realize, oh, this might be me. This sounds a lot like me. Uh-huh. And then I started to think back on all those things, and I think there's an article you wrote about ways to tell you're demisexual or something. And um, and I, I read that, and I think that was like, ah, oh, that that that's me. I'm demisexual. That makes sense. And once I realized it, it was like, yeah, that's definitely me. And it was actually quite liberating yeah. to learn. It was quite, because it, it kind of freed me from having to, well, I didn't realize I was pretending, but pretending that I had to, that somehow I had to be sexually attracted to people when I wasn't. And like think, or thinking there was something deficient or something that I wasn't doing that I should be doing or like, or something wrong with my body that, you know, that it wasn't, it didn't get like that. Um, yeah, that's a good point too. Is yeah. asexuality in general is just so often medicalized. Yeah, yeah. And like culturally, you're taught that like that's a really good point. Yeah, that that something must be wrong, which is interesting for you know for some people who are disabled and asexual, they are tied together. But then for other people who are disabled and asexual, they're not tied together. So that's a that's like a very interesting thing that I I don't want to speak over people who are who it is tied together for. But it also it comes it basically becomes like this conversion therapy thing when you t- when you're talking about mm. asexuality in particular. 
because it's like it literally says in at least in the American definition of hypoactive sexual dysfunction disorder, like if this person is comfortable in being asexual, then that doesn't apply to them. But it's like, well, if they don't know, then you know, then you're they're going to get diagnosed with this, and it's I don't know. You, yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, that so many of us think something's wrong with us. And then we find out, oh wait, there's like millions of people like me. Well, like one to two percent of the population, I think, is the figure mm. right now. Yeah, and once I found out, it was like it was a relief, and I was able to be able to connect with more people and hear yeah. more stories, and that was really helpful as well. Like knowing that there was, I mean, community is always helpful, right? Yeah. Um, so when you find out there's other people like you and that other people have had similar experiences than you, it, it helps validate your experience. Uh, and uh, that definitely is what happened with me. And after that, I, it started making it started me thinking about relationships and how how I would frame those and what I wanted. It was like a long because I didn't know for a long yeah. time, and I was. You've been conditioned to want this thing, and now you're like, wait, yeah, am yeah, I exactly. even that? Yeah, I realized all the relationship stuff that I'd said that I wanted was just conditioning. Yeah. So I hadn't really thought about what do I want? What does my body want? What does, like, you know, what is what is healthy for us? What is What do we actually desire? And, of course, at this point, I was in the middle of the pandemic, uh, or, you know, the worst of the pandemic, uh, and so numbing myself a lot, so I wasn't able to feel things as much at that point. So I wasn't able to know what I want. I wasn't able to figure it out. But I, I, I thought about it intellectually a lot. Like, and I, I looked into different things just to see, like, is this me? Is this me? Like, just doing research, really, just uh, and talking to people with different experiences and different perspectives and choices to see if, like, th- does that fit me? Or does that fit me? Or like, I wasn't sure. Uh, I think eventually I came to a point where, and this was kind of really last summer, last early autumn, that I was just, I I don't need to get married. I don't need to have a long-term relationship. I don't need to uh, do that to be happy. Like I'm content as I am. And if I meet someone and I'm able to have a life partnership with them, that would be wonderful. And I would love that. And I knew that that was something that, if it happened, I would be completely open to and be, and and would be willing to engage with. Like, but I wasn't going to try and force it anymore. And you know, I was for, very fortunate enough that it did that it did kind of open up to me with with somebody that I'd known for a very long time. So I was already very close to them, and it just happened almost by accident and uh and now I'm really happy but um you know so it was kind of at the point where I it it sounds so corny as well but it was kind of it was a kind of at the point where I kind of decided I am going to be content how I am whatever that looks like and be open to all possibilities and see what happens where the I was probably in a place where I was able to encounter somebody or Honestly, open myself up. To whether somebody. you're demisexual or ace or not, that's just a good thing to do. Like, you know, is to learn how to be comfortable with yourself. So like to be able to do that is, is really important. I'm really glad that you were able to get there. 
Like I think people really, really underestimate learning to enjoy your own company. You know? Yeah. yeah Cause I used to be quite lonely. Um, even though I enjoyed my own company, I've always enjoyed my own company. I'm an introvert. Uh, so I love my own company. I love being on my own sometimes. Um, but I also felt lonely and until I did, but that was until I did a bit, a lot of therapy and a lot of embodiment work. So I had a really great embodiment coach. He's still my embodiment coach. Uh, and he's wonderful. And helped me to. Know, um, what exactly is an embodiment coach? Um, can you... Well, it's the way that we, the way that my coach approached it was, it was kind of getting to know your body as a person. Like with their own, you know, gender uh, pronouns and all that. Like, so my body is a my body is a he him, <laughs> um, and I talk about him as him, not as an it. And I have a relationship with him, and we have good communication, and we work together. And I've built up good communication with my body so that I can listen to when my body is needs something, like even as simple as like needing to go to the toilet before I go out. I mean, yeah, that's... Uh, or, like, am I thirsty or am I hungry? Or am I tired, you know? Or, like, just actually paying attention to what my body is telling me um, and engaging with my body on things. And it's helped me to understand myself. And it, I've got more in touch with my intuition that way as well, which has been really healthy. And to understand my desires more. And to be able to open myself up to be more vulnerable emotionally, which I hadn't been able to do for a long time, and to set healthy boundaries with myself and with other people. Mm. Um, it's hard one. Without, without any shame. And uh, I guess as well, it was, I went it with demisexuality, it was just, that was, that helped me feel less alone. Because I was like, I always had my, it was like, I always, I was journeying through life with my body. And we were work. We were kind of working together to give me a healthy life, or give us a healthy life, both of us. Uh, and I guess that helped me feel less lonely and less in. And and I started unlearning codependency as well, which was another thing that really helped because I realised that I'd been codependent because we're we're brought up to be codependent. I think especially that's true in purity we, culture. We can, for sure, we can be conditioned to be codependent. Yeah. And I knew that I needed to let go of that. And before I entered into any kind of relationship, because I didn't want to be in a codependent relationship, I wanted to be in a healthy relationship where both of us come to it individually. And then we have the relationship in the middle of us almost. And we both contribute to that, but both have our own lives. We're not emotionally dependent on each other. And for sure. Yeah. And that was a boundary early on in the, in, in, in my, in my current relationship was, was, was that we will not be codependent and we aren't. And it's really healthy. So, uh, uh, yeah, it's um, so all of that was kind of tied in together with me learning about my demisexuality, and because that is a part of a part of it's a part of me and it's a part of my body as well. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to pay more attention, and like I noticed that I, that I didn't get sexually attracted to people like very often. And I noticed that like I actually consciously think about it instead of. Yeah. And I just, well, I just noticed it. Like I just noticed intuitively little thing. Like, my body doesn't do this. doesn't do that. Like I, I was able to tell when I found someone aesthetically pleasing, but not sexually attractive, like, and sexual attraction became, it became 
less physical, if that makes sense. Uh, because again, we're conditioned to think that it's a physical thing, sexual attraction, but it's, uh, but for me, it's not. Um, that's not how I form sexual attraction to people. And that does line up with what you're saying before about you have to form that emotional connection. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's been a, it's really, really, it's a really, really interesting journey. Um, I feel in a much healthier place because I've been able to accept my body and myself as for who he is and who I am and not feel any shame about it. That's at really all. good. Um, so that actually um, brings me <laughs> funny enough to um, our next question on here. So um, asexuality is culturally kind of seen as a feminine thing, particularly demisexuality, which yeah. obviously you're a walking example that it's not necessarily the case, you know. Um, but on that note, do you feel accepted by like the asexual community or the queer community at large? Or is it more of like a interaction um, to interaction type basis, would you say? I've got a lot of friends who are ace. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got, um, including people who've been on this podcast. Um, yes, like, I <laughs> Yeah, we, we would probably have a lot of mutuals. Uh, and I have friends in the LGBTQ community who are... Um, haven't treated me any differently at all like they've been welcoming and accepting i know that's not the experience of everyone i know that other people have had experiences of ace phobia and that that is a thing uh and that's very sad and you know i I heard a lot lot about that when i interviewed somebody else for the show recently Uh, marshall right Um, marshall yeah yeah uh, he told me a he's lot fantastic. about that. Um, he's, he's, he's incredible. incredible. He's, he's he's incredible. Yeah, like, I didn't even know he was on Wikipedia when I interviewed him. Yeah. Oh, good for him! I know we, we, he and I talked yeah. about that a few years ago, and he he wanted to be on Wikipedia so bad, and I was like, I have no idea how to write for them, and we never talked about it again. So, congratulations to him! He's totally yeah. I think I was re- trying to find a photo for our podcast for you know for setting it all up, and I and and I, I searched his name. And his his handle and stuff, and it came up on Wikipedia, like on the Google search, it came across Wikipedia, and I was like, "Wow, this is awesome!" Uh, that's the first time somebody I've interviewed has been on Wikipedia. Uh, Wikipedia, not well, the first time in a while, anyway. Like, there's not a few of my guests are on Wikipedia, but not all of them, but most of them aren't. Don't so, think that I am, um, but now I kind of want to find out. Not yet, <laughs> maybe not yet, but one day. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, but anyway, yeah, so I have learned about that from other people. My experience of that, I, I, that hasn't happened to me yet. It may happen to me in the future. Hopefully uh, never. That would be great, you know. But it would be nice if it didn't. Yeah, I mean, obviously I don't want it to happen. But, <laughs> but my, I've got a lot of LGBTQ friends and none of them have been asophobic towards me. Uh, they've all been very accepting of of me as I am. And I appreciate that. And I know that that's I'm very lucky in that respect uh and sorry um for everybody who's you know listening to this you don't know that my cat has been walking on me and on my laptop and on my lap <laughs> and across my headphones for like 20 minutes yeah we don't do a visit so, video. Just had to move a fat cat there you we're very um, spoiled <laughs> <laughs> um, he's a good boy but he is he a donkey boy 
but it's it's really good that you you've found a lot of acceptance like i know it's it's definitely a mixed bag for for ace people in general i feel like and i feel like it's not just ace people too like we obviously talk about it more with asexuality because we're ace but you know seeing it a lot right now with gender like diverse people in particular that's a big one like and people who don't want people who are not just lesbian gay in there like because they they say bi but they also then turn around and say like biphobic things so you know mm. yeah well one of the coolest moments actually was when my niece and nephew uh they had a pride thing in their little village that they live in oh and they both they both put all the had their face painted with all the all the flags and the rainbows and stuff including a demisexual flag Oh, and it was cute. like it was so. I was so excited when I saw that. Like you know, because it's like they they understand already. Like you know, they my sister explained it to them. You know, and uh, they've been part of Pride already, even though they're only like cute. little kids. Yeah. And so they already understand the kind of demisexual thing a little bit, and uh, obviously in an age appropriate way. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but um, I know whatever they whatever they choose is their as their gender identity and their sexual identity, then they will be accepted and because like, that's what basically I'm really like about. the labels they choose rather than Yeah. Well they whatever they choose for themselves is gonna be okay. They're not gonna have any issues with family or like, you know, at all. They're gonna be fully accepted. That's good. Uh and they're gonna be fully accepting, I think, as well. It I sounds think. like it, yeah. Yeah. Um, um so actually um speaking of accepting, um if if you could dispel one myth about demisexuality, like forever, um, like get rid of it forever, what would it be? Oh, oh, that one that I think you mentioned it earlier, that one where it's like, oh, so you're just, uh, like, you're just like, yeah, you're just like saving sex till you have a relationship kind of thing. Like, cause yeah, cause that is such a myth and it, it annoys me. Like, like you know having to explain i've never had to explain it to somebody on twitter fortunately but when i do see it and i see other people talking about it it kind of and their experiences of it it just annoys the hell out of me because it's a complete misunderstanding at a basic level Mm. because what you're saying when you say that you say what you're saying is you still want to have sex you're just waiting you're just choosing when to have it is differently and that's not and that's not what demisexuality is demisexuality is you don't even feel the desire to have sex until you're in a certain place in a relationship. Yeah. And even then you may not want to have it. And even then you may not even have it. Yeah. There's definitely uh, this assumption that if you ever have it at all or want to have it, that you must have sexual attraction or have always had it, but that's just not yeah. the case. And what's interesting to me about that is like, there are plenty of allosexual people who have sex without it and just don't really think about it. But then you tell them about like the spectrum of asexuality and then they're like, they don't, you know, they just don't have that comprehension. And it feels like there's a cognitive dissonance there. Cause I really do feel like there's, I know there's obviously not universal overlap, but the more I explain demisexuality and asexuality to allosexual people in general, the more I find like, yeah, there is definitely overlap here, but there's a tendency, if you're allosexual, I've noticed, not everybody, obviously, to apply your experience with it to, it must be universal, but then an asexual or demisexual person comes along and goes, hi, 
you know, I'm the exception to that rule. And I don't know. It's just interesting <laughs> to see that in action. Hmm. Yeah, it can be frustrating. It can be frustrating when it's just it's just your starting point when you make that assumption is different. Yeah. Your starting point with that assumption is that everyone wants to have sex. And you're just the only choice you have is when you have it, and that's a fundamental misunderstanding of of um, asexuality and, and demisexuality. Yeah, and I think just human sexuality, to be honest. Just generally, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of I think there's a lot of one of the biggest things that the asexual and the particularly the asexuality movement I think is doing like for the better is challenging these um, very traditional in quotes um heteronormative ideals that are basically based in like 1950s white picket fence america like purity culture type stuff and saying like no none of us work that way and and then other people who are you know not ace are like wait a minute there's a lot of this that i learned that was just conditioning too and so it's it's really good to see that start to ripple out Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. And I hope other people can can discover how to discover who they are. Yeah. Uh in a place of safety and to be that person without shame or fear. Mm. That's, that's why we, for sure. That's why I, like even yeah. if even if nothing changes, you know, at least you get to ask the question. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I like just have that conversation with yourself because then you know it helps you get to know yourself better this is why i always encourage people to do embodiment work as well because you get to know yourself so much better and even if you end up being like who you thought you were beforehand you still have a better relationship with yourself because you you're sure of it and you've reflected on it and really considered it and then made that decision and you've made that decision yourself it's not just an assumption it's it's a conscious decision of like this is who I am, this is how my body works, this is you know how my sexuality works, this is my identity, uh, and this is and I'm I in choose to own that and live in that, and without any shame or fear. So, um, speaking of that, like, do you have like so somebody's listening to this right now and is like, hey, I really resonate with James's experience. Like, yeah. is that you know, and they're trying to basically they're having that mini existential crisis that all aces have of am I ace because there is that fear of rejection and it, it doesn't come from nowhere um, in a very allonormative world. Mm. Um, Do you have any advice for people who are trying to figure it out? Like even if they figure out that they're not, you know, take your time. Don't put pressure on yourself to like come to a conclusion. Like, like don't, uh do your research <laughs> like like educate yourself as much as you can find safe people that you can talk to about it as well uh find if you can find some people that are experts or that have more lived experience of this to talk to uh and there's plenty of people there are people around if you if you look um I mean, I would happily talk to somebody about it if they asked me. Um, it's not a problem. Uh, yeah, I, and don't rush it. Don't, 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 don't rush it, and don't 
don't feel any shame for being who you are. That's you don't have to fit. So important. You don't have to fit into anybody's idea of of what some of what somebody is like. You know, there's no shame in if you if you if you turns out you're allosexual, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. There's no kind of second class, you know, identity or preference or choice or identity. That it's all we are who we are. Uh, it's really about accepting. Really about knowing and accepting who you already are and who you have been all along, and but just being more conscious of of that and yeah. and owning that. Yeah, and not. And also, they don't don't feel pressurized to tell everybody that you know either yeah you know, do it do it when you do it do it when you feel safe to do it and when you have support around you i think um, the biggest lie that queerness ever taught me was that coming out would be a one-time thing yeah. <laughs> which like it is not um it's like it is a constant thing <laughs> like, yeah no, actually that was a thing for me i one of the last things that I got used to was the idea that actually being demisexual means you have a queer identity. Yeah. Like, and that was like, that like, was like that day, yeah. You know, that was like, it took me a while to get used to that because, you know, because again, because of the way we condition, the way we brought up and things, you know, our brains get, get ideas in their head of what is queer and what isn't. And, uh, you know, but uh, I, but, that, but I eventually have come to that acceptance and it's 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 good for um people who uh, james just kind of smirked there because i stuck my tongue out of my cat but because um, he walked back <laughs> my lap again so um but that's that is really good advice um i think the best piece of advice i heard about it was somebody on tiktok and i can't remember who it is or i i would credit them because i now i've adopted it was um labels are magnets not stickers you know, you look at a sticker and you're like, if I put this somewhere, it's just stuck there forever. And whereas if you put a magnet on something, you can take it off if you want to. And I thought that was really, really good because we tend to be like so afraid to like come out of something else, which is, I mean, it's, it's not like it's not going to be, you know, a big experience, but I thought that was just a really good analogy of like, you know, you mm. can put on more labels or you can take them off. Or it's your fridge, you know? Exactly. That's it. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, and Gizmo. yeah, you are who you are. You don't have to be anybody else. Sorry, you don't have to everyone. don't compare yourself to anybody else. You are you, uh, and uh, yeah, this journey is really about accepting who you are and loving yourself as you are. Uh, and I hope that everyone can do that, whatever their identity is. Yeah, uh, yeah, and that's. Who you are is who you are is okay. Whoever that Speaking is. Speaking of um, turning it onto like more of a more of a lighter note, um, do you have any like funny like oh that was so ace of me looking back um type stories that you'd be like willing or able to share? It's okay if not, but I feel I'm like a lot th- of us have at least one. Well, I <laughs> I don't know if this kind is covered under that, but like I I didn't know what a virgin was. Oh, <laughs> until I was 18, 19. And of course, I didn't because I didn't think about sex at school like other guys did. I was in an all boys school. 
So, uh, you know, with a bunch of obviously hormonal teenage boys, um, all, you know, obsessed with sex and things and talking about sex all the time and, and, and I didn't, poking fun at who hadn't had sex, and you're over there like. Yeah, and, I didn't, and I didn't even. <laughs> I didn't even feel the urge uh, to join in those conversations. I wasn't interested in them. I wasn't interested in talking about sex. I wasn't interested in talking about anything to do with sex. And I guess part of that was because I was in the church, but also because I just wasn't interested in it. And so. I guess that was a sign that I was demisexual because I, I just never, I never felt left out because I wasn't in those conversations. I, ne- I never like, I, I wasn't interested in talking about that. I was never into that. I was never, it never was a conversation that came up. Love thing, love came up. That's that's different. Being in love, yeah, because you're not aromantic, so uh, it's different from, you know, it's different from, yeah, exactly. It's different from, from sexual attraction. You know, and so that was probably a sign. <laughs> not knowing, not knowing what a virgin was till uh, I was still I was a bit older, and I figured it out. And part of that was being autistic as well, I suspect. But like, I literally had to figure it out from what everyone else was saying. Because at boys' school, at the boys' school I was at, the whole joke going around was like, "Are you a virgin? Are you a virgin? Are you a virgin?" Like, I'm trying to catch you out. Like, and I didn't know what they were talking about when, or, you know. Uh, why this was important? <laughs> like, um, I never, so I, ne- I never joined in with it because I, I didn't want to say no because I knew that if I said no, it might be a bad thing, more to do with peer pressure because I didn't know what it was. Yeah. Uh, so everyone just said no because most people said no because they didn't want to be look like a loser. I just said I think if I did say no, it would have been just because I didn't want to be left out. I didn't know what the hell they were talking about. <laughs> our science classes were rubbish we had awful science teachers that didn't, te- didn't teach us anything and i wasn't taught anything at home either mm-hmm. so like uh because childhood trauma but uh so i just literally figured that out i literally learned about sex like through a lot of it was through movies to be honest and tv shows like when they were talking about all these things and i was like oh right that's what that is well oh, that's what and i just like started figuring it out like like a you know, growing information a typical, yeah typical autistic person i guess like you know obviously i did read books and things you know ultimately you know and i learned about the biology of it and all of that but i learned about the relationship stuff and the emotional part of it of that more you know Earlier than I learned about the, the sex thing, and because I, I wasn't interested in the sex thing, I was interested in the the emotional part of it. Uh, but that should have been a, that should have been a clue. But again, it didn't exist at the time as a term, so you know, uh, yeah. it wouldn't have been. Uh, I wouldn't have known even if even if even if I had figured all that stuff out, I wouldn't have. You wouldn't have. You wouldn't have had an exact word for it. I guess you could have. You probably would have just gone with asexual. Yeah, Asexuality was around at that point, but that was kind of people who didn't want to have sex at all. Didn't want to have a. It was seen as somebody who didn't want to have sex and didn't want to have a relationship. I think that's that's what it is, isn't it? Like, um, and but so there was no, but there was no grey area in between that. That didn't exist at the time. Yeah, there wasn't a differentiation between asexual and aromantic. I think, um, even though there were people who were asexual who were not aromantic, of course, before that, I think the term aromantic got coined in the early two thousands, also. Um, I might be misquoting that, but yeah. Mm. 
yeah, that was a weird experience. You know, that was that probably should have informed me of of uh, who I was. Hindsight is twenty twenty, as they say. Yeah. Hi. Saying hi to the cat again, everyone. Well, um, I think that was everything that I had. Is there any like lasting thoughts on demisexuality you want to share for your interview? I, I, I am glad I'm demisexual. I'm proud to be demisexual. Uh, anyone who's thinking about it, it's not. It doesn't make you deficient in any way. Uh, there's no such thing as like normal. You are who you are. And I just, my hope is that everyone can discover the freedom to be who they are without any fear or shame and to be content with that person. And because that's, that, there's so much joy in that. Um, and I hope other people can find that as well. It's hmm. a really good thought for sure. Well, um, yeah, I don't think I have anything else then either. We went over all the basics, so. Thank you. Look at that. You did really well. Like, I didn't even ask you any questions. Normally, like, sometimes when I'm interviewed for, interviewed for a podcast, I end up asking questions. It's like a podcaster thing. Like, if you do interview podcasts, when you're interviewed for a podcast, you end up automatically asking questions. And I didn't do it this time, so I'm quite proud of myself. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, and if, by the way, guys, everyone who is listening, if you don't know uh, I all this already, I never say this on my podcast, actually. My Twitter handle is at jamesprescott77, so you can follow me there, and uh, I will interact with you. Say hello. Um, and how can people find you on Twitter, Al? Um, my Twitter is um, secretladyspider. The first E is missing, so it's like SC, and then the rest of it's just you know, the same Twitter wouldn't let me have 15 characters in my username. So, um, then also I think Instagram and TikTok are the same thing. So, but I'm, I'm on Twitter the most and then medium blogs, the same thing. So. All right. I would check Elle's work out their, their TikTok and their, uh, and their, their writing as well. It's very, very good on this subject if you're trying to learn about it. So, um, they're very, very good. And they're also very, like me, they are quite interactive on, on, on Twitter as well. Yes, so I, I am on there a lot. Um, if I don't reply to you, it's I, I get a lot of comments. So sometimes it gets to be yeah, a bit much. It's yeah. not personal. Uh, yeah, so. and ADHD as well. ADHD as well. Right? That, too, that too. Yeah, I'll, th- I'll yeah. like look at it and I'm like, in my head I replied, right? And then I put my phone back in my pocket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've been there. I've been absolutely been there. Yeah. Like, I guess I just thought about this. <laughs> <laughs> I have a friend who I text all the time who also has ADHD, and sometimes like they'll say something, and then a few like seven hours later, be like, "I hope you're having a good day," and I'll be like, "I am so sorry." <laughs> like, <laughs> like I guess I just looked at your my phone was like, "I'll reply to that," and I just never did. Yeah, I've done that. I've sometimes I actually typed a reply, and I got distracted while I was typing it. By something, that. yeah, and then it changes. I thought I sent it, and I hadn't sent it, and then like I got another message later, like, and I saw it. I was like, "Oh my god, no!" <laughs> it's still there, like the, the typing out thing, like it's still not been sent. Like uh, anyway, oh, that's, that's, yeah. that's 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 ADHD for you. But, that's why uh, so many people with ADHD are on Twitter. I think is the constant dopamine hit. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Absolutely. Yeah, it's a great platform for us. Anyway. It is. 
All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, thanks for uh, hosting, Al. <laughs> great questions. Thanks for letting uh, me interview you. You were you were great interview. Thank you. So. Thank you. And uh, take care, everyone. <laughs>